Welcome to Poetry Lectures, featuring talks by poets, scholars, and educators, presented by PoetryFoundation.org. In this program, we hear two Palestinian poets, Fadi Judah and Ghassan Saktan, speaking with the director of the Harriet Monroe Poetry Institute, Ilya Kaminsky. Fadi Judah was born in 1971 in Austin, Texas, the son of Palestinian parents who moved to the United States after the creation of Israel. He grew up in Libya and Saudi Arabia and studied at the University of Georgia and the University of Texas. He won the Yale Series of Younger Poets Award in 2007 with his first book, The Earth in the Attic. Judah is also known as the preeminent translator of the great Palestinian poet Mahmoud Darwish. He lives in Houston, where he is an emergency room physician and an active member of Doctors Without Borders. Ghazan Zaktan was born in 1954 near Bethlehem. He has worked as a teacher and has lived in Beirut, Damascus, Tunis, and Jordan. In addition to ten poetry collections, Zaktan has written a novel, film scripts, and plays. His work has been translated into several languages, including a new English translation by Fadi Judah. Zaktan returned to Palestine in 1994 and lives in Ramallah, where he edits the literary page in the daily newspaper and is co-founder and director of the House of Poetry. This conversation took place at the Poetry Foundation in October 2012. It begins with an overview of Palestinian poetry. Ghassan Zaktan speaks in Arabic, and Fatih Judah provides the English interpretation. I think it is important to recognize that Arabic poetry is at least 1,500 years old, and Arabic is a living language, and Arabic poetry has had its very rich history that has influenced world literature throughout the ages. And then to separate that history from its contemporary moment where Arabic poetry has gone through a different phase or a new revolution in the modern times. It is very difficult to perhaps speak of Arabic poetry in general in the contemporary moment. It would be akin, for instance, to saying, speak of English poetry when you have such varieties of English in the British Isles or Australia or the Caribbean or in the United States and so forth. However, yes, it, 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 there is in the contemporary moment a way to enter that, as you say, through speaking about Palestinian poetry in particular. It is true that Islam and the Quran uh, have uh, definitely influenced the course of Arabic poetry um, as a language, as means to language, but there is much more of the history of Arabic poetry before Islam and even after that is not so concerned with the language of Islam, if you will, that makes it quite complex. We need only to think of Dante's uh, um, divine comedy and its relationship to Abu Ala al-Ma'ri's uh, treaties of redemption, for instance, or Don Quixote's and its relationship to uh, Arabic literature in uh, um, in Spain to understand the uh, complexity of the history of, of the Arabic language. But I'll leave that for now and and uh, listen to what Hassan has to say. Uh, we cannot separate uh, naturally the, uh, the scene of Palestinian poetry, contemporary Palestinian poetry, from the uh, scene of Arabic poetry at large today. 
عالية جدا في الأداء الشعري قدموا شعراء فلسطينيين. This is despite or because of the very highly specific performances and uh, features attributes of Palestinian poetry and poets. وباستعراض سريع قدر الإمكان بما يسمح فيه الوقت يمكن يعني اعتبار And as far as the contemporary moment, one can say that the uh, that Palestinian poetry played uh, not a small role in the movement and the revolution of uh, Arabic poetry for the last from the uh, half century ago, from the mid 20th century on. And this influence uh, starts from breaking the structure of the classical Arabic poem, the classical Qasida, from being what we call a vertical poem uh, in hemistitches and uh, monorhyme or various forms of rhyme to a, a free verse uh, or a verse libre um, with, the, with a new form of prosody. And then these changes reach their peak when the prose poem was introduced And this was mainly done, to be accurate, by a group of poets uh, in Lebanon, back maybe in the 1960s. One can go back to 1948. Uh, these uh, poetic revolutions were happening in the Arab world at the time. But the loss of uh, Palestine, the loss specifically of 78% of the land, the uh, expulsion of uh, an immense number of uh, uh, Palestinians resulted actually in another kind of loss as far as poetry is concerned, Palestinian poetry is concerned, which is the loss of the city, the loss of the urban center. And with that, there was a loss of the crystallizing potential of a middle class that would contribute to the expansion of the poem, especially uh, the, the cities, the coastal cities, where the urban centers mostly were. Between 48 and the 60s, there was an influence on Palestinian poetry from the outside of Palestine, but perhaps not until the 60s, that this began to take shape from inside of historic Palestine, if you will. And he mentions a, a list of names of poets who were in the 40s and 50s and early 60s were also um, leading poets in this regard who uh, established a sense of Palestinian poetic identity in contemporary times. In the 60s, uh, the Palestinian poets who remained within Israel established what is now called as resistance poetry, uh, which became an iconic moment uh, in, in actually Palestinian poetry and Arabic poetry at large. Whereas the Palestinian poets who were exiled at the time were outside historic Palestine, were uh, th their themes were of longing uh, and of um, dispersion. The Palestinians within, at the time, uh, were concerned with 
how to address being internally exiled, culturally exiled, or banished within the new state of Israel, because obviously they have their language was no longer visible on the ground and their sense of identity. And so from that sense, it was a direct engagement with more perhaps existential questions on the ground, whereas, again, the outside poetry was more directly at a particular time uh, concerned with revolution uh, per se. Uh, of those names, uh, he'd mentioned a long list. Uh, usually, the, the the you know top three or four names are Samih Al Qasim, Tawfiq Zayyad, Rashid Hussain, uh, and of course Mahmoud Darwish. And I you know I would like to add to Hassan uh, that that the the question of or the expression resistance poetry is one that was termed by the the great uh, Palestinian uh, novelist and and thinker Hassan Kanafani who was assassinated uh, in Beirut, I think, by the Mossad um, for being uh, quite a, uh, actually, a, a revolutionary thinker. Um, so it wasn't necessarily some expression that was, that these poets created for themselves and established a school, per se. It was an expression that stuck to them through another intellectual and important Palestinian writer. ظهر لدينا على على مستوى تعامل مستويين من المنفى. So to reiterate, we can say that at the time there were two levels of poetries, uh, Palestinian poetries in exile. One was the again the external uh, geographic exile, and one was the internal geographic, cultural, and linguistic exile within uh, Israel. And the birth, the full-blown birth of the the new. Arabic poem, as far as it relates to Palestinian poetry, had taken place, the the verse libra or free verse, as well as approximating and coming closer to embracing uh, the prose poem. And uh, a last addition, uh, it is uh, sort of normal to say that within this uh, milieu of uh, Arabic literary tradition and internal uh, movements within the larger Arabic scene, there was also uh, an invitation and a bringing on of international poetry at the time of the names that he had mentioned, uh, Lorca, Neruda, Rizzos, Alberti, uh, and I would add eventually uh, uh, some contemporary Russian poetry, uh, uh, for sure. Mayakovsky. Mayakovsky, Yeah, we we can say many names, but uh, initially the immediate felt presence in that uh, Palestinian and Arabic poem was more immediately felt uh, uh, through the language of Lorca and Neruda and then, then later on Ritzos and others. One follow up question that I do have is what happens now? Uh, you say that the resistance movement began in the 60s. Uh, what is happening in 2012? We cannot necessarily talk about 2012 without going back to the stages, the multiple stages of Palestinian poetry through the last 40 to 60 years. 
even after the rise of the so-called resistance uh, poetry movement. And one of those sort of uh, important moments is the 1982, which, of course, was the expulsion of the PLO from Lebanon, the Israeli destruction of Lebanon at the time. And let's also... Let's also call, you know, a spade a spade. Much of the Palestinian poetry transitions or stages of Palestinian literature are related to large political events. I want to make an observation also that um, it shows the richness of poetic tradition when even though it is in response to large political events, poetry like Zakht and Sovan poetry is full of legend, full of myths. Um, how do those things work together in that tradition? واضح جدا ان الشعر الفلسطيني غني بتراثه وبتنوعه ولكن اذا اخذنا شعرك فهو ايضا مليء بلغه الاسطوره او الخرافه فكيف تنظر حدث هذا المزيج بين هذا النوع من اللغه والظروف السياسيه القاحمه نوعا ما؟ أنا أنتمي إلى جيل أطلق عليه اسم جيل الثمانينات هذا الجيل يعني جاء عملياً تكرس عملياً I belong to a, a generation that is called the, the generation of the 80s poets and this generation, the, the main feature of its identity is uh, the expulsion of the PLO from Lebanon, the uh, sort of the, the dissolution of the revolution in its classical sense uh, at the time. And we became poets who were immersed in a different kind of loss or defeat, if you will. In, in summary, um, the, the whole idea of loss, uh, first of all, I, I, while I do speak on behalf of my generation of poets, in a sense, each one of us has their own private attribute. But the whole idea of loss, it's, it's obviously, and, and I'll elaborate a little bit, a different or a new kind of loss. Because the, the, poetry, the, the resistance poets, you know, in the 60s and so forth, not only did they start from within that bizarre contained exile, but it also took its peak after 1967 and after the occupation uh, started of what remained from that 22% in the West Bank and Gaza. But later on, the, 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 again, the dissolution of the revolution uh, and of the PLO as this uh, uh, romantic hope allowed this new kind of loss to the poet to think about breaking the, uh, if you will, the holiness of symbols within Palestinian identity at the time. And the focus on breaking the, the classicism of, um, of, this, uh, of the paradigm of the hero led him to, uh, to take language into that intimate yet folkloric or uh, mythic language on a, on, a, on a daily basis. It's a beautiful response. Would you perhaps be willing to read one of your poems for us? And Freddie, would you read the translation? حفر على الخشب في منزل الصباري أكمل ما بدأت رواية للموت والموتى وفصلا في شؤون الطير بيتي رحلتي والريح بابي والنوافذ ما رأيت خسرت أموالي 
وظلت فطنتي أعمى بصير عند عش النسر ينحت عجلتي لتحبني الأنواع لاطفت الضباع ولم أثق بسواي لا أرضا تركت لكي أعود ولا طريقا كي أصل في منزل الصبار حين صحوت كان لدي اسم كامل ويدان من ذهب وفي حل من التذكار كنت Wood Carving In the house of cactus I finish what I started A novel for death and the dead and a chapter on bird matters My house is my journey The wind my door and windows are what I saw. I lost my fortune, but kept my acumen. A blind man with sight by the falcon's nest sculpts my solitude, so I'd be loved by a variety of selections. I cajoled hyenas, and besides myself, trusted no one. I left no land to return to and kept no road to arrive. When I came to, in the house of Cactus, I had a full name and golden hands and untethered to remembrance, I was. Thank you so much. Could you perhaps read one more poem for us? Onetu Haris al-Karm. يا ابنتي عندما تذهبين لقطف السفرجلي لا توقظي حارس الكرم من نومه إنه ميت منذ وقت طويل كما تعرفين مخدته من عظام البنات وفرشته من أساور زوجاته الميتات وفي خرجه رأس زوجته الهاربة حاولي أن تغني قليلا أمام الشجيرات حتى تحبك كم كان عذبا غناؤك في ليلة المولد النبوي ونحن على طرف من مكان فقيران نسعى وكان الغناء يمررنا في تعاريجه طائرين من القش كان الدراويش يلقون أجسادهم في الدوائر والماء يخرج من جبة الصخر والصخر في أثر الصيف والصيف من صنعة الشمس والشمس في أهلها هكذا تؤخذ النفس Song of the Orchard's Watchman Dear daughter, when you go to pick the quince, don't wake the orchard's watchman from his sleep. He's been dead for a long time, as you know. The bones of little girls make his pillow. His mattress is out of his dead wife's bracelets, and in his purse 
is his fugitive wife's head. Try to sing a little in front of the trees so they may love you. How sweet it was, your singing on the night of commemorating the prophet's birth. We were at the periphery of some place, two poor beings seeking sustenance and singing used to spin us like two straw birds. The dervishes were throwing their bodies into the circles. Water used to come out of stone. Stone chased the summer down. Summer was of the sun's making, and the sun was with its skin. This is how a self is taken. Thank you very much. I have um, a question for Freddy. You seem to have been able to translate poetry that crosses from one century to another. You all know for your translations of Darvish and you have translated Dakhtan's work. Now you're also translating poems by a new generation. I wonder if you could speak a bit about that transition and then perhaps share with us one of the poems by the new poets of Palestine. I think that the uh, the poetry of younger Palestinian poets now is really... Um, concerned with um, almost, if you want to call it that, an infinite meadow, standing in front of an infinite meadow of literary heritage, uh, both contemporary and, and past and ancient, but more so the contemporary. So the younger poets have to contend with the presence, the, the shadow of a darwish, as well as uh, the uh, presence and, and tenderness of a zaktan, as well as other poets and uh, their openness to world poetry, which is now much more accessible to them through uh, the digital age, much more so than it was in the 60s and 70s when that generation was drawing on translations and things uh, trickling in from different languages. And so this really creates an immense diversity that is, I think, uh, hard to pin down into um, a movement or a single movement, if you will. And perhaps we are yet to see what that force, if you will, or that breakthrough or that creativity is about until maybe 10 years from now. So it is in, in, an, in a wonderful moment of flux and, and uh, uh, creation. But I would like, before I read an example or two of, of younger poets, uh, I would like to divert a little bit and say there will come a time in my belief, and again, this is not to uh, diminish any other poetries in the world, but there will come a time, and maybe we are at the door of that time, where we begin in a, on, at the world stage to understand Palestinian literature in general, not just Palestinian poetry, as something that has offered and is offering and will continue to offer as long as the tragic situation continues. The human condition, our contemporary moment, something essential to examine, return to, and look forward to as well. The Palestinian condition addresses not just the concept of statelessness, but actually the fragility and almost fabrication of the concept of the human identity in an age of the nation state. And 
you know, Darwish, for instance, in one of his later poems, refers to his exile as a thing that is not concerned with looking at the past. This is not to negate nostalgia for the loss or to uh, do away with Palestine, but it is an idea of saying that if one's identity is fixed always into the mythic past, whether that mythic past is a religious one or not, then we know what it has caused human, uh, the human condition in the contemporary age. And I would say that the Palestinian poet in the body of Mahmoud Darwish, if you will, and in other bodies are concerned with, to use Ghassan's expression, with fracturing or breaking the myth of that kind of fixed identity and giving us a roadmap for the future of what exile means. And in this sense, we have other giants like Edward Said, and, and we, we also have um, you know, other novelists. I mean, the work of Ghassan Kanafani, uh, who died very young, uh, the famous novel of Emil Habibi, The Pess Optimist. I think there is much to say. And this is not a simple parallel, although the parallel is there to someone like Kafka's presence, for instance, in Europe, and what it has become. I think it is that parallel and even more because we are at a different historical moment than the time of the stateless in Europe, to use Arendt's uh, expression. So, um, you know, and going back to the generation of the 80s, I would like to also mention another point. Jean Genet, his, his masterpiece, Prisoner of Love. Here is a giant of uh, Western literature who goes to uh, live with Palestinian fighters in Jordan and then visits them again in Lebanon in the early 70s at the beginning of the dissolution of this romantic idea of, um, of revolution. There will come a time when it is important for us to see what Palestinian writers and poets have already anticipated and written about that and not necessarily resort to the genius of Jean Genet, who came late in a sense. And I think, while one is really grateful for that as well, and I think Hassan's poetry in the 80s and uh, the poetry of his generation already anticipated that and addressed it. So having given this sort of large digression, yes, I, I would like to just read a, a couple of short poems uh, for two young Palestinian poets, women, and... Um, one of them is, is, uh, was uh, a couple of years ago the winner of the Palestine Young Poet Award, which has been around for the last decade or so. Uh, so there is that sort of cultural scene that is supported by uh, the Palestinian establishment, if you will. So the uh, first poem is uh, by Asma Azaiza, and it's called Bone Taste. Who will protect our bones under the human plaza? since those who have carved on the forehead of graves paths for insects have departed. We knew their faces well when we used to frequent the plazas with the confidence of the living. They were the people of marshes that never dry. They were the folk who didn't look for our history in the guts of worms. Who will teach us to protect our bones from archaeologists, merchants, museum builders, and myths that glow in the plazas. The worms will ask us the questions of gods, but who will ask them about the taste of bones? 
and the other one, a short one by uh, another wonderful uh, Palestinian woman, uh, Dalia Taha. This one's called Scoundrel. All the men I have known become scoundrels. Just like that. After our bench retreats from the garden, each one sits in front of me with that book by Henry Miller I have given them. And they puff their cigarette smoke, sip my hands, and confess. I am a scoundrel, and I hold my laughter as Miller winks at me from the bag's pocket, happy with himself that he still fathers my children. Uh, he would like to add that uh, this generation did uh, sort of take off from what the generation of the 80s did in the sense that they engaged and penetrated the daily and life in a different manner than previous generations. They did not hover above it. They delved into it. And the most important achievement of this generation can be said that they were able to change the identity of the poet within society. They were able to displace the centrality, the central role that the previous generation of poets had taken within Palestinian literature and sort of move it toward the, the margins uh, and also uh, change the perception of the recipient of the poem of what the poet is and is about in Palestinian uh, poetry. I would also like to add that, uh, you know, giants like Mahmoud Darwish uh, have been very open about um, uh, their constant learning from the younger generations. And one cannot say that Darwish's ever-evolving poem changing from the 60s, 70s, 80s, his large lyric epics and into the more daily uh, intimate ones, is just because he was uh, heavily influenced by uh, the younger generations, but he admits that he never stopped being open to learning from the new generations, which I think is also uh, a credit to him. In addition, um, you can also say about the young poets and the, the change of the scene, the Palestinian poetry in the last 40 to 60 years had really had limited uh, female presence, women presence, largely uh, limited to uh, two recognizable names, Fadwa Tuqan and Salma Khadra Jayusi. However, this is not at all uh, the case of the last 10 uh, or 20 years, and there's been a dramatic change uh, with the uh, sort of uh, uh, the immense numbers of, of young women poets who, who are on the scene writing today. Yeah. 
Um, you can say that the uh, women uh, poet of the contemporary Palestinian scene are not just merely present and writing, but they're actually leading the the the, the scene uh, or participating in the in a, an equal partnership, if you will, in creating the Palestinian the new Palestinian poetry scene, and. Uh, uh, just the Young Poets Prize that we we talked about, the uh, Palestine Young Poets Prize in the last few years had been won by uh, two women. Uh, Asma Azaiza is one. Uh, we mentioned Dalia Taha, who uh, is also an important voice, but there's also Hala Shroof. And Gaza, uh, there's Sumaya Susi. And outside Palestine, there is uh, Kuleta Hussein. I wonder if you could finish perhaps by speaking about translation and what you learn as a poet in English from interaction with another culture, with another um, aesthetics, with another way also of using poetic tools. As a translator yourself, you, you know that many gems uh, or treasures of translation become almost secondhand, or that they were in the first place firsthand. You can't even uh, break them out of their slumber or unconsciousness into the surface of consciousness per se and, and almost ruin your method uh, I do believe in approaching poetry as the eternally possible, poetry in t- translation. I know that uh, the, the conversation of what's lost in translation is a, a, like a minefield, I think. But for me, um, the differences that are natural between languages, whether they are far apart or close together, are actually fundamental prerequisite conditions, if you will, to translation. I mean, it sounds rhetorical, but you cannot translate if you are translating toward perfection or accuracy or this high degree of fidelity. In order to perform translation, and I think historically the examples are plenty, even of thousands of years ago, even of, of, of the, what the Arabs did as translators, one has to rewrite and reread and it is, as you know, the closest form of reading. I cannot say that the rhetorical tools, uh, the linguistic tools in Arabic are uh, in Arabic in the Arabic poem are necessarily absent in in English. I think the wonderful thing is that the commonality exists. I think the problem becomes the contemporary moment of reception and of the politics of reception. There is wonderful natural syntactical contortions in Arabic that sometimes I think we shy away from in English or we considered it awkward or what have you. But one can employ these syntactical acrobats towards creating new rhythms, new lyric, and also toward creating a contemporary phrase, a new contemporary phrase. Obviously, this cannot just be done by translators. It, it is done by living English poets. Another way of, of maybe focusing on that answer is the poem that we just read, the, the Song of the Orchard's Watchman. There is a particular music in the Arabic that I cannot necessarily deliver in English. So I, be, I, I naturally, without even thinking about it, choose to create subtle rhymes in the poem to create a new music for the English poem. But one thing that remains a little different in the English is the language, the source, the spring from which that poem borrows. That poem borrows from a a very deep tradition of, again, to use your word, legend or folkloric tradition that mixes in the mystic, 
and and the the colloquial in a sense the village if you will the uh, the pastoral perhaps the difficulty remains in the question how does that come across in english and for me it becomes not the problem of translation or the translated poem and not an issue of the original poem for sure but it becomes an issue of the knowledge in the politics of reception or the knowledge in the recipient milieu of the new poem and i don't think that we do enough and we dare enough in host languages and i'll speak as a translator of Eng- into english to actually embrace these things as original as something that offers english something new i think we take them too much into a field of their own more often than we should i think uh, almost like an anthropologic study of 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 a foreign poem as opposed to as opposed to a new poem that actually displaces or deterritorializes english and i think all good translation work should aim to to that that was fadi judah speaking about his experience with translating poetry the conversation with gasan zaktan and fadi judah was hosted by ilya kaminsky it was recorded at the poetry foundation in chicago on october 23 2012 as part of international poets in conversation and was sponsored by the harriet monroe poetry institute fadi judah's the earth in the attic was published in 2008 by yale university press Judah's translations of Mahmoud Darwish include The Butterfly's Burden and If I Were Another. Ghassan Zaktan's Like a Straw Bird It Follows Me with English translation by Fadi Judah was published in 2012 by Yale University Press. Keep up with the world of poetry and learn more about the Harriet Monroe Poetry Institute by visiting poetryfoundation.org where you'll also find articles by and about poets, an online archive of more than 10,000 poems, the Harriet blog about poetry, the complete back issues of Poetry Magazine, and other audio programs to download. I'm Ed Herman. Thanks for listening to Poetry Lectures from poetryfoundation.org.